Namaste. Namaste. Everyone's already in samadhi. We haven't even started. It's wonderful. It's beautiful to see such a room full of beings of divine light. Do you all realize that you're beings of divine light? That's our natural essence, our real state of the self. When we realize the self, we're in a state that is not only luminous, but filled with love, joy, bliss. And many kinds of empowerment, from psychological empowerment to paranormal levels of empowerment. So there's a lot to be gained from realizing who we are. And yet despite the fact that it's all gain and no loss, we somehow resist letting go of the ego mind that's the cause of all of our suffering, the negativity and fear, and living a life of love and peace and bliss. Do you understand that? Very strange, isn't it? It's a very strange phenomenon that the human soul resists its own liberation. Of course, we see that in the political realm as well. People are fooled into enslaving themselves. And the same is true in the spiritual dimension. You know, in India, all of the religions of India, they say that it's not a matter of original sin, like the, the Western religions tend to focus on. It's just a matter of not knowing, not realizing that you are God. You've forgotten. But all you have to do is remember it and come out of the veil of ignorance. And the truth is revealed. It's right there. You don't have to flagellate yourself and make up for sins and feel guilty and pray for redemption. You already are redeemed, but you just don't know it. And so a satsang is just a, an opportunity to gather together and remember that we are already in a state of redemption and joy and bliss and to celebrate it. How many would like to celebrate that? Yeah? Good. You just have to drop the false belief that you are an ego. And an ego has two levels of, of its, um, its enchainment, its blindness. One is the identification with the physical organism. You have to stop believing that you're this body. Because once you believe you're the body, then automatically you're going to be afraid of its death and suffering and pain and all of that. And you're going to want to make it as good-looking as possible and you're going to measure 
how your body looks with others, and you're always going to feel inadequate in some way, because the whole world has become a meat market, right? So everyone is walking around feeling that they're not good enough as a physical being. If only I had a bigger this or a smaller that and a different shape to this, right? Everyone is going around with the misery of, of feeling that the body is just not it, not attractive enough, not strong enough, not healthy enough, whatever. If we can just give that up by realizing you're not the body. And the body is perishable, yes, but the consciousness that we are is eternal and imperishable and deathless and birthless. You're not even born. It's an illusion that you've been born. You're just remote viewing right now. Because the self is in another dimension. And yes, it's using these sensory organs, but it's not really in the body. The body is in the consciousness. We have to reverse our paradigm. And the second uh, enchainment is to the mind. We want to think all the time. We're constantly chattering and preparing and rehearsing what we're going to say or thinking about what we should have said and wished we had said and uh, what we're going to be doing tomorrow and the next day and the next day and never being in the present. We're running away from the present and we're running away from ourselves. That's the bottom line. And yet we're proud of this mind. Oh, I can outthink everybody. I can win arguments. I can do this and that with the mind and And so it's a toy that we like to play with. And it compensates for the lack we feel in the body, we can feel omnipotent in the mind, right? Nobody knows how good I am, but yeah, if they knew, I'd really show them, right? So the mind and the body are kind of linked with this uh, inferiority and superiority complex system that the ego is trapped in. But the fact is, you're neither the body nor the mind. Did they teach you that in school? They didn't. They forgot that, didn't they? In fact, they teach us the opposite. And that's the problem these days. We're in a very unhealthy culture. If we would go back a few thousand years, and especially in the East, but even in the West, that's what they would teach. They did teach that in the the ancient universities. And the whole idea of culture was to transcend the illusion that you're the organism and the mind and to realize the spirit, the self, that is beyond. And the self is pure awareness, silent presence. And at that level of your being, the real self, you're already realized and you're already free and you're already at peace, all of that. Because... It is that part of you that's undisturbed and undisturbable. But because you're identified with these outer layers of consciousness, you don't know that. And the outer layers are very disturbed and agitated and going through all of their rigmarole trying to maintain balance. But at the inner core of the self, the center of this whirling circle, this dervish that the ego is, uh, there is always peace. And all we have to do is come back to our center. That's all we have to do. And that center is effortless, choiceless awareness. Famous phrase by Krishnamurti. 
effortless, choiceless awareness, just presence. The problem is you have to make a lot of effort to reach the state of effortlessness. But the only effort you really have to make is to realize that you are already that effortless, peaceful center. So it's an effort of remembering, of focusing the attention inward. That's all. And if you focus there and abide there long enough so that the, uh, the, the, the tricks that the ego is trying to play on you to come out again and play with your suffering, if you won't pay attention to that, for just a, a relatively few minutes, you'll start to feel the bliss within. You'll start to free yourself. It doesn't take long. It just it takes the determination not to fall for the bait of the ego that wants you to divert yourself from your center. That's all. Just simply don't take the bait. Stay centered. Stay in the silence. And you gain more and more power as you stay in there. The energy field of the self grows. As you give it attention... And, and withdraw your attention from the outer psyche, the inner becomes more and more empowered, the energy field strengthens, and gradually, if you don't feed the ego with thoughts for just a relatively short period, it begins to, to wither. And if you stay long enough in that state of samadhi, it will die, the ego will die, a natural death, and then you can celebrate because you will be reborn as the liberated spirit. And that's the, the metaphor of basically all the religions in the world, a death and a rebirth. All the metaphors, whether it's from baptism or uh, the metaphors of the, the twice-born Brahmin, etc., it's all about that. Die to the ego mind, the false self, and be born again as spirit, as the immortal, deathless self. In India, in the Vedic traditions, that's called the Atman, the Buddhist traditions, which just say nirvana, or your Buddha nature, but they refer to the same thing. And you can use the word Allah, you can use Christ consciousness, Krishna consciousness, it doesn't matter. All of those words of all of those different traditions are, mean the same. They refer to that same achievement of liberation from the ego mind. And it's natural to us. There's only one religion in the world. All of these pseudo-conflicts between religions are just ideological tricks they're playing on you. Because we're all one. And when we reach that center, we realize that the center that we are is not the individual. It doesn't pertain to a single organism. It is cosmic consciousness. And then you begin to realize, wow, we are all one self. We are all one field of consciousness that's infinite. It extends even beyond this planet. It's everywhere. And we are that. Because we transcend this dimension of space and time. The, the self is timeless spaceless and lives naturally in higher dimensions in which this dimension is just a very small little particle of our immense transfinite reality and we're missing out on playing in those higher fields of the Lord because we're stuck in this little box and we think this phenomenal sensorial plane is all there is but it's not it's just the minutest part of 
our being. And so it's said that, you know, God has many mansions. And, and why live in, in just a, a tiny room when you can have it all? But it means letting go of the suffering of the ego and the mi- miniature identity as a single organism. But everything we're taught in school is that that's who you are and that's what you live for, is to maximize the amount of money that organism has, the amount of pleasurable vacations it has, and all of the other things, the trophy, spouse, and all of that. That's it. Your whole life is focused on that. But the logic of spiritual development is the opposite. And it seems crazy to the ego mind, especially in a capitalist system that's focused on profit, and so there are stories that, that are, are given in, in the spiritual paths to kind of uh, shake you loose from that. I remember there's a story of, uh, in the Indian Vedic tradition of Krishna, who is the equivalent of Christ in the Indian tradition. He's the avatar of God. He and Arjuna, his human buddy, are traveling around. They've, just, they've won the, the war of the Gita now, and they're just kind of uh, traveling around the kingdom. And they visit this, uh, this town where there's a very rich guy and, and uh, they sort of invite themselves in but he's very mean and cruel to his servants and his wife and his, uh, his whole town and cruel to them. He hardly offers them anything, you know, some, some porridge. And this guy's living in a palace and all of that. And, uh, and they're treated really insultingly. You know, you don't treat God that, you know, he comes into your house that way. But this rich guy didn't care. He had a, huge ego and so when they leave Krishna says to him your your wealth will continue to increase and Arjuna looks at him like what this is the blessing you give for that and then and then they go and they travel uh, further on and they find this poor man living in a tiny hut he has almost nothing little vegetable garden he has a cow the guy goes out and milks the cow and brings them fresh milk he gives them all the food from his garden. He gives them the, the most beautiful hospitality that they've ever received. And uh, they have a wonderful time in this little hut of this guy. Much more beautiful uh, time spent there than with the rich guy. And, uh, and they walk out, and at the end, Krishna gives the blessing to this, this poor man who has given them all he had and all the love and, and the... Uh, the devotion, and Krishna says to him, your cow will soon be stolen. And he walks away. (laughs) And Arjuna goes, what? (laughs) This is the blessing you give to this guy? See, the Indians are crazy, aren't they? And Krishna says, Arjuna, look, the rich man's wealth has taken him away from God. He's cursed himself. By giving him more wealth, he just increases his suffering. And, and he will be further and further from God. But that's what he wants, so I'm giving him what he wants. Whereas the poor man wants union with God. And frankly, having that cow is diverting his attention from meditation. <laughs> By losing that cow, he'll meditate and he'll reach liberation in this life. It was the greatest blessing I could give him. And Arjuna goes, whoa. <laughs> I wouldn't have seen that one. Right? So, it's a different logic when you start thinking of life as a spiritual journey rather than some capitalist journey of making the most money you can. It's a very different way of living. 
And if you can open to that, you can be in bliss. You don't need to make your first million to, in order to have joy. And, uh, and that won't, won't bring you it anyway. Especially now as we're at the point of the collapse of the whole system of this fictional wealth. It's time to abandon ship and find Krishna or Christ in your heart and receive the true wealth. And so that's what all the religions teach. I mean, Christ said the same thing in the New Testament, right? He said that a rich man will have as easy a time going to heaven as a camel through the eye of a needle, right? Stories are the same, really. It's universal wisdom. But how many of us live according to that wisdom? Or do we fall into the trap of having anxiety to buy more cows? And, and that's the, the question we all have to ask. What am I living for? Is it to maximize what money can buy? Or is it to find what God can provide in terms of the miraculous blessings of surrender? Now, it doesn't mean you have to give away all your money. You know, In India, there are also stories about very rich rajas and maharajas who are, are enlightened as well. So there, it's not about uh, money being the root of all evil, but greed is, and attachment to things and to people, possessiveness, and the misuse of our natural world that is a gift of God in order to profit at the expense of our brothers and sisters, the birds, the animals, the pl- flowers, the plants, the trees. We're destroying nature to make a, a quick buck. And we're destroying the very environment that enables us to live. And we're raping our sacred planet. And that has to stop. And it will only stop if we get out of this insane logic of trying to maximize profit at the expense of life and beauty and love and sacredness and the unity of all that is. And we all have to rise to this new level of consciousness, to the sacredness of all beings, if we are going to save our own future and that of our children and create a life worth living on this planet. We have that duty because we're the ones who took us out of the Garden of Eden into this hell realm, and if we want to get back to the Garden, there's only one way of doing it. We have to merit being in that garden and it will be given again. So that's what we study in Sat Yoga because it is the story of how we fell into this ignorance that has created the bad karma and what we have to do to achieve that perfect Buddhahood, the liberation in life that enables us to then have mastery over this physical realm that is a dream and to redream it in the most beautiful way rather than in the way that we have dreamed it into a nightmare of competitiveness and war and brutality and unloving and, and hateful worlds and peoples and conflicts everywhere. And those conflicts have spread to every level of our lives now from not just the international level but down to the family level and the couple level and individually we are at war with ourselves 
And we have to start at that level. The inner war has to end. The war within our own mind. And, and when we can end that war and become wholehearted and bring our God consciousness to life within and live that life of grace and radiance, we become catalysts for change at the larger level. And what one being does through their own transformation affects the entire world. Even chaos theory has now proven that. They know that, right? The butterfly in China can change the weather patterns in Costa Rica, right? We are all interconnected. Quantum physics says the same thing. All the particles are entangled. They're connected no matter where they are in the universe. Change one photon and the light will go on everywhere. So we need to do that. Each of us is a spark of the divine light. And when our light shines, that radiance will resonate with the whole energy field of all beings. So we have tremendous power. They will try to tell you you're powerless and you can't do anything and there's no alternative, etc., etc. But there is. They don't understand the miraculous power of consciousness. So yoga is the most ancient science of how to achieve higher states of consciousness so that you can live in that empowerment that can effect the most beautiful changes, transformations of our phenomenal world, which is the gift of God. This is the expression of God. But when we have lost touch with our God consciousness, then the world becomes demonic and we partake of those same demonic energies. But we can dissolve all of that and liberate ourselves and bring the light into this world of darkness very easily and very quickly. And so we must all have faith. Don't ever lose faith that you can change things and turn the trajectory of history in a new direction because we can. And we can still solve all the world's problems. It's not too late. But we can only do it with that higher power. We're not going to do it with the current technology which is used for the wrong purposes of creating more problems more radiation more oil spills, all of that we can't do it with that, we need the highest technology of God's wisdom if we're going to escape from the prison we've created in our planet so Sat Yoga is about doing that and doing that through liberating yourself from the ego mind that believes it does not deserve the grace of liberation. You know that's the biggest obstacle. Okay, It's not the chattering mind, it's not the, uh, the obstacle of not being able to focus and concentrate like people think, I can't meditate and all that. No, the real issue is this. Most egos believe they do not deserve to achieve God-realization. They have a sense of guilt that they carry and unworthiness. And that is the illusion. That's the false belief. Each one of us is a manifestation of God. Each one of us is an incarnation, an avatar of that divine power. Don't fall into the belief that you're a bad person, a sinner, that you, because of something you did in the past 
or some trauma that occurred to you that must have happened because you have bad karma and you deserved it. All of those stories, those narratives we create that put us in a hole, they're false. And never believe, oh, it's too late. If I had started this 20 years ago, okay, but I'm too old now or I have too many obligations. I have children, I have a job. I have a... There's no excuses and there's no reason to withhold the gift of liberation from yourself. And it's easy. It's easy to achieve because it's simply shifting the identification that you have from the bodily ego to the infinite light of the self. And that's there, and it's real, and as soon as you believe in yourself that you are that, it will manifest. It will emerge from the eclipsed state behind the veil of the ego, and the light will shine, just like when a cloud moves and the sun shines through, and, and you realize that it had been there all along. So that's all we have to do is realize that the light is there and has been there all along. And we are the light. You don't have to pray for the light to free you. You're not the cloud, okay? And you're not the shadow and you're not the darkness. You are the light. So that's the good news. That all of this is very easy and simple and natural. And you know what? We've done this all before. Because we have lived in infinite cycles of time and space and we've been through this. And we get through this in different levels and higher and higher levels. But we have achieved realization. And we've come from that state of realization. We've descended from Godhood into taking human form. We are all angels that mistakenly think we're fallen when in fact we've been sent into the darkness to bring the light but then we forgot our mission. <laughs> we just have to remember that was the only reason we came here in the first place was to bring the light again. And just knowing that and remembering that constantly for a short period of time, will free you. That's all you have to do, nothing more. And if you'll remember it in a state of peace and relaxation and liberation and not think about anything else except how wonderful it is to know that you're a being of bliss, then that bliss will emerge from within the unconscious. It will come up, that's what the kundalini rising is, and it will descend, that's the shaktipat, the grace. It will come from both the superconscious and the unconscious. And it will dissolve all of the darkness, the negativity, the guilt, the depression, the addiction, all of those things, those defense mechanisms that were only there to make up for the lack of the divine energy. That's all any of the psychopathologies that, that, that psychology studies are really all about. It's that we have forgotten our divine energy. And so we took something else to fill the emptiness. Whether we became nymphomaniacs or heroin addicts or whatever else we decided to choose to pick up to, to fill the lack. It all comes from the same illusion. Because you're not lacking. 
you are filled with an infinite amount of divine energy right now. The word in, in India that they use is purna. Purna means the fullness of God. And that fullness is in your own heart. And it's there right now. Let yourself feel it. Let yourself bathe in it. Let it come out and fill the whole organism. All the cells need to bathe in this divine energy. And then you'll see it overflows the body. It will create an aura of radiance. And it will be a gift that you'll offer to every being. Because that's all everyone wants. And you'll be a giver of that energy that will bring us all back to life. We're all dying for lack of that energy flow. It's not oil shortages that are disturbing us. It's the love shortage because we've forgotten that that's what we are. But we can have a gusher at any moment (laughs) just by realizing that, that your heart is filled with that power. So let's let it gush out tonight, okay? That'd be all right. So let's do a meditation together.